0: hey friends and welcome back to the equestrian podcast i'm your host bethany lee and this is episode 260. our guest today founded ebony Horsewoman in 1984. ebony Horsewoman is a -a one-of-a-kind urban riding center in hartford connecticut since 1984 they've been serving the community's youth families adults and military veterans through equine assisted psychotherapy therapeutic riding and a variety of youth programs Her dream was to level the playing field for inner-city youth to give them access to the same opportunities, resources, equine-based programming, and equine-assisted therapy as their suburban counterparts. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Patricia Kelly. Hi, Patricia. Hi, how are you? Doing well. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Thank you.
0: I'm so excited to have you on and talk about Ebony Horsewomen. Um, But first, how did you first find yourself in the horse world?
1: um well it's a strange long story but my parents bought a house in a predominantly white neighborhood and one of my neighbors was a jewish grocer that had a horse and he i didn't have very many friends on that street but he and i developed a relationship a friendship and he taught me how to ride and how to tack up a horse and everything. His name was Mr. Fisher, and he was he was a great friend to me. So I guess he started me off. But it was I was about thirty when I had learned that my dad had been a, a jockey in his youth, had a tr- horrific accident and never rode again, and actually hated anything about riding after wow. that. So um, I guess it was in my blood. And Mr. Fisher just kind of brought it out.
0: Amazing. Well, you have done a lot in the equestrian industry, and I know one of your most notable endeavors is highlighting the historical impact of Black equestrians in the industry. I'd love to kind of learn more about how Black equestrians have played a role in our sport, and obviously, more importantly, why this is not a bigger conversation, um, maybe more so now than before, but around our industry and our equestrian history. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I'm very passionate about that. Um, Once I learned that my dad had his experience in the horse industry as a jockey, um, it became a passion, I should say, for me to find out more about why is it that African-Americans are not prominently talked about or the history is made known about the contributions that were made by African-Americans. And so um, it was one of my decisions to make myself knowledgeable about that. And so I learned, you know, uh, uh, so much. African-Americans, number one, are undercounted in the horse industry. Um, And I think it's because, you know, the horse industry in and of itself is very classism and very racist as well. And so that kind of leads leaves African Americans out a great deal from the outset. Um, The history of the contributions of African Americans in the horse industry goes almost back to the very beginning. I mean, it's now known that the first 13 jockeys of the winning jockeys of the Kentucky Derby were Black men, and they ruled the sport until Kentucky decided that they would uh, licensed jockeys, and Kentucky would not license Black men. And so that began the decline of the Black jockey um, in the racing industry. Many of those those gentlemen, those winning jockeys, went to Russia and did extremely well there in Russian racing. Uh, even, even the term cowboy itself came from the fact that the one in three Black uh, cowboys in the West were Black men. And the term cowboy came about because of Black men who herd cattle would not be called cattle pokes, cattle hands, cattle men. They called them boys, cowboys. And so uh, when Hollywood grabbed it and and made it an icon, uh, Black men were absolutely thrown out um, that they're even the contributions and the fact that they still are in the industry was just never recognized. It was, So the history has either been deleted, denied, or dismissed. It's a part of American history that has been permanently or decidedly um, not made known. And, and it was important for me to understand it, particularly when my dad told me of his stories of being Um, a jockey in his youth and how all of that came about. So yeah, it's a passion because uh, many African Americans think uh, as a nation tries to, uh, I guess, support that, that we're Johnny come lately to the sport and we're not.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. From learning from your dad, where else could you, were you able to kind of pull information, learn about the history? uh,
1: So it's, it's real interesting because, you know, when, when America was an agricultural country Mm -hmm. nation, many people in the South had horses and raised horses and, and mules, and it was a part of um, society, you know? And so that included African-Americans who had buggies and wagons and horses plow horses and road for pleasure it was transportation it was uh, you know a part of their work experience and and even that you know knowing that um when you get north to the north you think that that is never a part of our history but it was as with the rest of the nation um a huge part of everyday living so it wasn't unknown to people, particularly in the Southern states and Midwestern mm-hmm. states, to have horses and ranches with horses and cattle. So it, it was like, well, wow, because when you, when you think about it, you don't see African-Americans in that, in that perspective. But it actually was a real thing of having Black ranches in Texas, in Oklahoma and Wyoming, um, as well as people having horses and and carriages and buggies in in the South, but when you come north, it's absolutely you know not even talked about or known that you know African Americans were a part of that and a big part of that as well. So it was clear, you know, when you start talking to elders who were from that generation, it was like, yeah, we all had horses. And we used to ride them bareback and we would jump on them in the, in the field and just run, you know, it was like, wow. So it was it was a part of everyday life. It wasn't a novelty at all. It's become a, you know, a sport of leisure and recreation and and class. But then it was just everyday everyday thing
0: as a way or one of the ways to bring more attention to black equestrians. I know you've created the Black Boots Award. Can you tell me a little bit about these awards and kind of the intention behind it and maybe how we can celebrate our um favorite black equestrians and kind of give honor to.
1: Well, it's it it, it came about because um I was doing a search on Google and I <laughs> I came ac- across um, a question, uh, are there any Black equestrians? And I'm like, wow. what? What do you mean? And it, it, the, search, the search item is still up on Google. Are there any Black equestrians? And I'm like, oh my god. Well, one of the things that we have to, have to realize is that w- when whoever the powers that be that, that do the measures and the counting, they look at Black uh, Americans that are in competition whether it be through racing or western pleasure dressage eventing polo they look at counting those people who are established in a particular discipline in competition Mm -hmm. but there are thousands and thousands and thousands of black equestrians in trail riding associations and other organizations and people who have horses as their leisure in their backyards and and there's so many other different types of of get together with people who have horses and competitions and among them that's not registered in the establishment if you will and so when I began to look at that I'm like well my god you know, the black equestrians that are notables, you know, Oprah Winfrey, who has horse, horses and Steve Harvey's daughter rides and Paige Johnson of the BET um, conglomerate rides. When, when you know, those are the high profile African-Americans and many other that get counted. But there are thousands upon thousands that never get acknowledged, never get in, in rodeo, in polo, in, in all kinds kinds of other disciplines who never get a knowledge, but then I've also found that many of them are hidden away in social media threads, you know, and so you you will find them on Facebook and Instagram, but if I don't follow you, I don't know you. I don't know you exist. I don't know what you do. Um, Griffin sport horses. He trains Frisians and all other kinds of breeds of horses and does a magnificent job, as with many other you know, gentlemen and women who are training horses, our farriers, our our saddle makers, never get the light of day of recognition. And I thought, it's enough. It is enough. It's enough. So the Black Boots Awards is to recognize, honor, and, and bring to the forefront, not just in social media threads, the accomplishments and and contributions that are made by African Americans in the horse industries those in competition and those who are not they are spending a, an incredible amount of money in the horse industry they're buying trailers and trucks and feed and equipment and horses but they're not acknowledged and so the Black Boots Awards is to acknowledge those um those equestrians and bring them out of the social media threads into the broader community.
0: Is that where you feel like in some ways that racism is still existing in the equestrian community? Like, what would you say are some examples of this kind of existing racism in the sport?
1: Well, I started off by talking about, you know, black jockeys, um, mm-hmm. the first 13 winning black jockeys. And I think that the the sport of uh, racing still is conflicted sure. with that. But aside from that, I had a young lady um, mentioned just the other day, and she is uh, a hunter jumper and an accomplished hunter jumper and asked to ride on a team. And she was told... She wasn't good enough, but she could be a student um, intern and she could help clean their barn. (laughs) Hmm. And I hear of that often. You know, it's hard to distinguish sometimes between classism and racism, Um, but racism, classism is absolutely rampant. Mm -hmm in the horse industry. Um, there's a young man who used to ride with us years ago who was numbered number 13 in the nation of hunter jumpers and couldn't get. Um, his dad was a pediatrician. The mom was a um, gynecologist. And he couldn't get recognized himself. There's so many examples of it. Um, you go to horse shows. I, I, here in Connecticut, it, it, <laughs> It has been a two-edged sword. You know, we go. My kids compete in local horse shows, and when we go, people are like, "Oh, Ebony horsewoman is here." Well, it was okay. Well, glad you recognize this, but my God, is it just us? Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're the other competitors, African American competitors. It's very expensive, and when you go, you get you get um, looked down on. I've had my my kids called the N word. Mm. You know, all, some of them have been, um, mistaken for grooms, you know, could you go mm. get my horse, please? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a lot, it's, a, it's a lot and it still exists, you know, right. and in the consciousness of it, you know, everybody's talking about inclusion, um, diversity and equity, but it's been harder to pull off. I think the USEF has 2,200 judges. I think only two of them are black. hmm so you know the the examples of it is still out there. It's I remember when we began the the organization started with women, ebony horse women riding in parades, and I remember people looking at us like we were aliens. You know, I had mm-hmm. one woman ask me where did I rent my horse, and when I told her I owned it, she told me I was a liar. <laughs> wow. So you know that kind of thing, unfortunately, you know, happens
0: way too often. So who knew that the World Championships in Herning, Denmark were happening Right now, this week's podcast episodes are supported by Clip My Horse TV, which is the leading live stream provider for equestrian sport and breeding. I don't know about you, but I have a laptop dedicated just to live streaming these events this week. So if you don't want to miss a moment of the World Championships, make sure you tune in on clipmyhorse.tv and fei.tv. Those of you who are not premium members can enjoy all the benefits free with a one month free trial. You can use the code Bethany 10 to save 10% on a premium membership after that. Enjoy a great entertainment on all of your devices. In addition to the Black Boots Awards, you're also, um, as we've been alluding to, the founder of Ebony Horsewomen, which is totally a -a one-of-a-kind urban riding center. Um, And you're based in Hartford, Connecticut, right? Correct. And what inspired you to start this riding center?
1: Well, so I rode when I was a child with Mr. Fisher. Um, I went off to the Marine Corps, did my time in the Marine Corps, came home and did what women did in my generation, you know, get married, have children, and then unfortunately divorce. Mm. And um, I wanted to ride again because I remember that when I rode, I, I had a peace and a serenity that I couldn't find any place else. And so I began to ride again. Um, there was a group here in Hartford called the Ebony Horse Men, that had been around since the early, late 50s into the 60s. And now this was early 80s and they were phasing out. But um, one of them still had a farm in a uh, suburban town with horses. And when I got back from the Corps, I went to him and I began to ride with him. And I found this incredible piece. And I began to invite girlfriends out to, again, to be with me, to, to uh, experience this peace and serenity. And from that, I began the Ebony Horse Women, which was a, a riding group of, for women. But it wasn't until about a year later, after I founded the organization, uh, it was a heroin epidemic in Hartford, and the kids were in dire straits. And uh, we were riding through the park that we are in, located in now, um, Keeney Park, which is 693 acres. And two little boys ran up to us and said, Hey lady, is that a horse? Is that a real horse? And I said, yes. <laughs> what did you think? Well, he said, the other little kid said, see, I told you, I told you it was horse. I <laughs> thought, Oh my God, I have to do something about this. <laughs> so um, I went to the authorities and I said, listen, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to help. And they were like, they gave me their blessing and, and we were off and running.
0: Wow. And what kind of programs are you providing?
1: So um, we have youth programs, Um, we have park rangers, Um, as I said, this is 693 acres, so we have park rangers that we train to ride and patrol the the 693 acres. We have um, our young ladies riding club, Um, these are young ladies that range in age from 10 to 18. And um they were a dressage team, but a lot of them began to get interested in Western writing. So we changed it from the dressage team to the writing team. Okay. We have a day at the farm, you know, for other kids who want to come in and experience for a day what we do, of course, summer camp. But we also have equine assisted psychotherapy, and this is being delivered to anyone, but, and also public writing lessons for the community, that took, and we've got people who come in either for therapy or writing lessons that range in age from again, five all the way up to 80. Um, and so it's been very rewarding, particularly during COVID to be able to offer urban dwellers um, the experience of equine assisted psychotherapy. And we have about four BIPOC a clinical therapists here who are certified in equine assisted psychotherapy to deliver the service. So that was a big boom. And it was a, a, a great service to offer, particularly still during the height of COVID and into what we're now going into more COVID and now monkeypox and a bunch of other stuff. God knows what's coming. Mm. So we're a year round program, but also as we speak, have a museum going up. Wow, That will be the Mary Field Stagecoach Mary um, Museum. So hopefully by um, the spring of 2023, it will be completely um, erected and finished and we can begin providing this 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 uh, museum for the community.
0: Wow, that is so exciting. You've I mean, you've had a lifetime of experience working with horses. What would you say is your favorite thing that you've learned from horses?
1: Their ability to to see into me, <laughs> mm-hmm. their ability to go past uh, my lingo, uh, my persona, the, you know the strong mm-hmm. lady um, image, and say chick, you know you don't have to do that with me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know their ability to understand when my heart is broken. I had uh, a Palomino who like many Palomino's was spooky. Oh my God. He, and we called him Rising Star because he would rear and walk with <gasps> me. Oh my God. But I loved him because yeah. this horse knew when I wasn't on my A game and he would calm down as if he was a little pony. And that there were times, you know, when I was raising the kids and just things happening in life when he would like, listen, come to the barn. I got you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I got you. And there were times, you know, when I had the young part of the organization, when it was just women, and my kids were like in their teens and I would just have one of those nights. I would get up and go to the barn and I'm thinking I'm going to be there by myself with my horse and there are cars outside with other women inside crying. Mm. <laughs> so their horses. I'm like, gee, guys. <laughs> I thought it was going to be just for me, but they were you know they were having the same kind of experiences that I was having with horses is that if there was anything that could understand where they were was their horse, and so their that ability of of horses to really get you is the piece that I think I most enjoy and then again when i'm I'm back on my A game, he's back on his A game, right, and we'd have a good time. But um, I think that ability that, you know, if nobody else gets you, I do.
0: What would you say is something that you are especially passionate about in the industry that you feel like people either don't talk a lot about or don't know enough about?
1: You know, there is, so there are segments of the horse industry. And they're separate and apart from each other. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: There is the whole holistic part of the horse industry where people are doing therapy and getting, you know, therapeutic benefits and riding for pleasure. And I see whether it be black or white, one child putting down another because they don't have the brand name boots on or the brand name helmet or the brand name attire on and look down on another kid or individual like that. It it, it, it hurts my heart to see that part of the industry is so uh, exclusive. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just for us. It's not for you. If you, if you're, if you don't have a horse, if you're, if you don't get trained by the right trainer, if you're not riding at the right barn, you're not in the click. And that, that mm-hmm. thing just, just gives me the heebie jeebies. It just just sends my blood pressure up. Because it shouldn't be that well, horses don't care about that kind of stuff. They don't care if you're riding with the name brand boots that cost seven, eight, nine hundred dollars at on mm-hmm. That name brand, they don't care. And I think that they're just being used um, to develop that society of separatism. It just drives me crazy. Sorry. Mm.
0: <laughs> no, I I think that that is such a great point to bring up. I mean, what. What can be, is there anything that you feel like could be done to try to move the needle away from where it has been and where it's even, you know, still heading?
1: I don't know. I'm not certain. I think it's promoted because it Mm -hmm. it brings in a hell of a lot of money.
0: Right. It does.
1: And um, those people who are not the halves try very hard to be the halves and they Mm -hmm. are spending a gazillion amount right. of money right to be in that class. Um it's promoted. It's when you look at, you know, social media or um, you know, advertisements, it's you must, you must have this and you must have that. And you must, and horses could care the care less mm-hmm. about that. So I don't know if there's any because there, you know, money drives it. And money drives most things in our society. Right. And it certainly drives it in the horse industry. Right. You know, you have to have this kind of truck and that kind of trailer. And it's just crazy. And mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't know, I have no idea how you can move that. I mm-hmm. don't, unless the whole um, classism thing collapses. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I. So I think I think for now the biggest thing we can do. I think what you said is continue to talk about it and continue to promote these ideas. And um, for organizations, I know are working more to offer, you know, more abilities for riders to come ride, different programs, different grants different ways for more people to be a part of it but there still is that kind of core mentality that you have to be this certain class to like to truly belong and that's you know it's just terrible it's very archaic like it's very it doesn't make sense in the rest of society it, i think that that's a way that our industry has stayed in such a bubble and i get the um that, that a lot of people value the like classic component of our sport but one I mean especially with talking with you a lot of that history that it's based off of is not correct and two it's just it's very behind the times of where the rest of the world is moving and and has done more and more trying to move exactly yes
1: it's, it's unfortunate and you know and not to just keep it among African Americans I've seen you know, young white girls at barns who are treated, um, right. less than because of them not meeting the criteria. Right. Right. You know, I, I, my kids, I used to, um, they used to love to watch saddle up Mm-hmm. and saddle up was always showing that kind of, um, separatism. You're right. You know, and, and my kids would say what, well, gee, Miss Kelly, even with them. And I tell them, yeah, even with them, honey."
0: Hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely definitely something to continue to talk about and to try to brainstorm ways. I mean, it's a hu- it is a, it is a big industry with a lot of money coming in and finding finding ways to use our voices to be able to continue having conversations about it. I think that's what, you know, the best thing we can do and I think what you've created with Um, kind of like your voice and your passions with Ebony Horsewomen has been so incredible. So I applaud you for what you're doing for the industry. And thank you so much for taking the time. I wish you all the best.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you.